We're going to look at sixth chapter of Deuteronomy today. I was reading uh, various newspapers this morning. Came across an interesting article on fathers by a, a guy who had just become a young father, and he went to work in the gang unit in Los Angeles. And he said, I really wanted to try to figure out why all these kids were in the gangs. He said, especially me raising young kids, I wanted to try to figure out what it was that drove them to this kind of situation. And he said the one constant that he found in every single gang member, he said it wasn't race. They were white, uh, Mexican, black. He said it didn't matter. There wasn't a race issue. It wasn't a culture issue. But he said what it was was that every single kid was without a dad. Whether the dad was incarcerated, the dad was absent, or the dad was dead, but he said there was no dad in the life, and there was no dad there to give them, and this is, these are his words, he said there was no dad there to give them a moral compass, a direction. They were hunting for it, they were driving for it, they just didn't know what to do. The gang offered them an opportunity to have some direction, because without a dad they had absolutely no direction in their life, and there was tremendous difficulty for them. So, as dads, we have a tremendous responsibility. Now, the difficulty today is that as a dad, the competition is fierce. You deal with uh, government schools versus public schools. There aren't public and private, by the way. There are government and public. You may not be able to afford the public because you're paying for the government, but there are government schools and public schools. Now, the difficulty is that inside the government school, even if your teacher is a believer, he or she cannot uh, start a conversation about a worldview you're trying to teach your child. Now, they can if your child goes up to them and starts it. So you're limited, and then you have to deal with the fact that they're going to run into teachers who have an opposite idea of your worldview, and will share that in class, and will offer material that will be the opposite, and there's nothing you can do about it anymore since the Supreme Court declared certain things they've declared, and so now we can't fight it anymore. Have a competition from your culture. It despises what the Bible would say about you as a father. Uh, we live in a day when uh, the... Uh, the attack is on any kind of holiness that God would represent. Again, if you go back to the 50s, even early 60s, sitcoms were all about a single dad in the home rearing his children. They went to church. It was always in the sitcom. The father was knowledgeable, wise. The kids were not in rebellion. They were not smart aleck. And if they did something wrong, they were corrected. It really hit a nerve because it was the genius of the Cosby show that they came along and gave back what we had in the 50s. That's totally gone now. There's nothing there. So the culture is attacking your kids with a worldview that you don't hold in Christ. You have to deal with sports. I love sports. I love playing. I love, uh, always have. Most of us love sports, and so your kids are going to be involved, and the difficulty with it is if they excel at it, then a lot of times they're going to be pushed out of the only institution that is going to come alongside you and back up what you say in the home. So the competition's fierce. You say, well, that's positive, preacher. Thank you for sharing that with me. 
I feel much better about being a dad now in this culture. Let me just share with you, though, you need to understand a principle in Scripture that I want you to lock on to, because those things are true. You're going to have to fight them. But I do want you to lock on a principle in Scripture that the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so if I take what God says, not Baptist ideology, I just got back from the convention, and that is just embarrassing. But if I take biblical truth as a dad, and I allow the Holy Spirit to take it and drive it into my kids' lives, and I do what the Bible tells me to do, then because greater is he that is in me than he is in the world, it doesn't matter what they do or don't do, God will win out in my children's lives. So even though it's a difficult time to be a dad, you still have a power behind you the world can't even begin to understand. You say, but Satan... Is there, yeah, but he's not a creator. He is a being, a created being. He doesn't mesh with what we know. Now, I want you to listen. Because interestingly enough, Deuteronomy 6 gives you exactly what to do as a dad. So here it is. Look at Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Now, we're going to walk through this very carefully, but this is absolutely what you do as a dad. If you're dead, you lock this passage down. You put it on a three-by-five card. You put it in your car. You put it on your bathroom window. You put it on your cubicle at work. But you make sure this thing is driven into your heart because this is what you do as a dad. Listen to this. Number one, hear, O Israel. Now, that's not a small statement. This is called, uh, it, the theological term for this passage is the Shema of Israel because the Hebrew word Shema here means literally not just hear, but you better hear in a way that you obey. So it's not the idea that you just listen, but that you obey. You're going to teach your children, okay? First thing you're going to teach them is that what you're going to tell them about Jesus is not an option. It is not something they can discard or ignore. You're going to tell them what you're going to tell them about Jesus Christ is absolutely true, and therefore they have to yield to it. I've actually had Christian parents come to me, or at least people that say they're Christian, and come to my office and say, you know, I, I don't like what you preached last Sunday. I want my children to have the freedom to find what they think is true and go with it. And then understand, you don't get the word here. The Bible doesn't give you options. It gives you one direction you surrender to. That's it. Our God is mutually exclusive. He thinks he's the only God. Jesus thinks he's the only Savior. The Holy Spirit believes he's the only person that indwells you and that can change your life. And you have to teach your children. That is an absolute truth they will live under. You don't give them an option. They disobey biblical truth. You bring correction now. Your job, remember, according to the book of Proverbs, train your child up in the way he should go. So remember, you've been on a road that isn't toward God. Matter of fact, you've been facing away from him on a different road. You come to Jesus Christ. He picks you up. He puts you on a new road that really is going toward God. And so you're going to spend the rest of your life as a dad walking toward that God. Again, we've got to understand something before I go any further. There's no such thing as a perfect dad. You're going to fail. 
You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to be walking along here and make some mistakes with your kids. You're going to make some mistakes by yourself. But what I want your kids to see is that you get up, you apologize to kids, you correct aberrant behavior toward the Father, not Baptist rules, but what the Bible says about God's character, and you keep walking toward that character. So when you die, your kids can say, you know, Dad wasn't perfect, but he always walked toward Jesus. So that's what you're going to do. Now, listen to what he says. The Lord... Our God, the Lord, is one. There's all the content you need. That's what you're going to teach your children. Two words here. The Lord. One word in the Hebrew. Two consonants repeated. We don't even know how it's pronounced. There are no vowels in the Hebrew alphabet, but we don't know how it's pronounced because the Jews never pronounced the word. It was holy to them. They believed that it was the personal name of God. Now listen to this. In Exodus 3, you stay where you are, listen. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That phrase, I am, is the same word here, the Lord. The Jews were so careful about it. They copied the scripture incessantly, but when they copied it and they came to those four little letters, four consonants, two repeated, they would get away from the table. They would go back, they'd wash their hands and pray. They would come back to the table and they would write very carefully those four letters. Then they would leave the table, go back, rewash their hands, pray again, and then come back and copy the text. Now follow me all the way through today because this text is important. You're going to teach your children that this God that they are walking towards is way bigger than they can understand. That he's massive. That he is self-existent. What that means is he's always been here, he'll always be there. He's never not existed. You and I didn't exist at one point. Now, we're going to live eternally, but there's a point at which we began. There's never a point at which he began. You say, how to explain that? I don't know that's why he's God and I'm not. So I don't have a problem that I don't understand him. I don't understand me. I mean, I watched Phil Mickelson chunk a golf ball yesterday, and I'm thinking, I'd have been way worse than Phil. I'd have made that grain look like a strawberry patch. So I don't understand me. I certainly don't understand a being who's way beyond me. He's self-existent. He made a universe that our best telescopes can't see the end of. And the Bible says, every son that you see, he has named. You're going to read your kids every verse of Scripture like that. You're going to read them Psalm 139. You're going to read them every psalm that talks about the magnificence and the depth and the incredible distance he is from who we are. And you're going to talk about all that. And when your kids say, I don't understand that, you're going to say, you know, I don't understand it either. But I know who he is. I know he's there. You say, well, (laughs) what's appealing about that? It's incredibly appealing. You and I live in a world I struggle in. You struggle in. 
I need, and, and I'm telling you, I can't help. I saw there was a lady that went through something the other day, and I called her on the phone and said, look, I just got to tell you, I don't have any words. I know you know Jesus. I know the scripture. I don't have any words. Just know I'm praying for you. There are times we go through things as much as we love each other. We can't help each other. I want to know there's somebody out here that is big enough to handle what I face and that will do something about it. So I want my children to know how massive this God is. And then look at what he says. I love this. Look at this. So you're going to teach him that, and then he says, the Lord, who's God? Ours. The Lord, our God. You're going to teach your children. The second thing you're going to teach them is, look, this God is way beyond you, but he wants to be your God. As a matter of fact, he's one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And God the Father sent God the Son to redeem you so that God the Spirit could indwell you so that he can get you through this life, and then you will come to me when you die. You're going to teach them that he wants to be their God. And then he sent God the Son to accomplish that. Listen to this. I love this. You say where you are, the Jews and Jesus, always a wonderful situation. The Jews are mouthing Jesus. Jesus makes this statement. Listen to this. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham. Listen. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But he hid himself and went out of the temple. He is God in the flesh. So you're going to tell your children that this God that is unbelievable came in the flesh. Well, Dad, why did he do that? Because there are two things God can't do, son. He can't be tempted to sin and he can't die. But if he comes in the flesh, he can be tempted in all points like we are. And he can die on the cross. And because he went into the grave, son, when I go in, I'm not coming back out. But Jesus went in and came back out because he didn't die for his sins. He died for mine. And so he put my sins on God the Son's back so that you can get on the same road I'm on. Because you're not on my road. But because of the blood of Jesus, he'll put you on my road and we can walk together to the same God. Because of the blood of the Son and as a result of that, God the Spirit is going to come into you. And now, two things happen, son. I have the power to look like him and I can't see him, but now I can hear him. So you're going to walk him through Romans 1 to 8. You're going to walk them through Romans 1 to 4 that we're sinners and we're in trouble. 
Romans 4, that you're justified not by what you do, by what you believe. Romans 5, that you believe in the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, that your old man's been conquered. Romans 7, there's a struggle, but it will be because of his argument with you externally. Romans 8, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and because of that, his spirit bears witness to our spirit that we're the children of God. So you're going to teach them that he wants to be their God. Then you're going to teach them that there's only one God. The Lord your God, our God, the Lord is one. You're going to teach these kids there's only one God out here. That's why you hear him and you obey him. And when he begins to delineate his character to you, and then he wants you to reflect that character, son, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to reflect the character so that you look more and more like him as we walk together on this road toward him. And there's only one God. It's not Allah, son. It's not Buddha. And it's not Star Wars and the Force. It is a sovereign, self-existent, almighty king. And there's only one. And his name is Jesus. Then you're going to teach your children. Now look at this. Now look at this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Now you're going to teach your children this God that wants to be your God. He's the only God. You're going to hear him. And the way you're going to really do all this, son, daughter, you're going to love him more than anything else in the world. You're going to love him more than me. You're going to love him more than your mother. You're going to love him more than your siblings. You're going to love him more than your teachers. You're going to love him more than your friends. You're going to love him more than your fun. You're going to love him more than your work. There isn't anything you're going to love more than this God we're walking towards. You're going to teach them that. Why? Because if they love him, all his character will be formed in their life. That's why when Jesus, when the guy said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, you should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. On this hangs what? All the law and prophets. Every bit of character that God wants in your life is based on those two traits. You're going to teach them that. Then, look at this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You, gentlemen, dads, are going to be intentional about the truth of God in the life of your children. It's not going to be accidental. It's great if you teach your kid how to hit a flop shot over a sand trap. It's great if you teach your kid how to pivot on a double play. It's great if you teach your kid how to flip a football so it has spiral and some power. But none of those things are worth anything. The thing that is worth something is what they will carry out of this life. And that's not how well they throw football. It's not how well they hit a golf shot. It's how well they walk toward Jesus Christ. And you're going to diligently teach that to them. You're not going to wait for us to do it. And the school's not going to do it. And the friends are not going to do it. The culture's not going to do it. You are going to have to be intentional. I love the way he says it. In the house, when you're on the way, everywhere you go. That means two things, gentlemen. 
You're going to make opportunities and you're going to take opportunities. There are going to be times where you sit your kid, you're going to take them somewhere, and you're going to walk them through some scripture. Your child should know the fundamental truths of Romans 1 through 8 by the time they're 12. And if they don't, that's on you as a dad. You need to be intentional. And you need to take opportunities. They love sports. There's going to be a million opportunities to look and say, Look at this guy, he's doing it right. Look at this guy, he's doing it wrong. Look at what he wound up as. Look at what he wound up as. Look at the family he has. Look at the family he's destroyed. Let's stay on this path. And then dads, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Gentlemen, if you don't model Romans 1 through 8, there's no point in teaching into your children. Not perfection, but direction. Gentlemen, you have to model that. I understand. It's Father's Day. And I hear this. I hear Dad say to me, you know, I don't care anything about Jesus. I don't care anything about God. I don't care anything about church. And I'm going to go to hell and have some drinks with my friends, and that's what I'm going to do. Okay. The problem with God is he'll let you. You do not have to come to Jesus. That grace is not irresistible. He speaks to you about Jesus Christ and your chance at being redeemed and you spit at that. He'll let you do that. You are going to go to hell. But you're not going to have drinks with your friends because the Bible teaches you're in utter, outer darkness. You can't see your hand and there's nobody with you because fellowship is reserved for God's people, not the other person's people. So that's fine. If you want to go, but just do one thing. Don't take your children. Father, I thank you for the many men in this room who have done it right and are doing it right and will do it right. No perfection but a direction their children have seen and adopted in their own lives. Father, there's a man here today that mocks all this and thinks all this is funny. Let, let him make that decision, but Father, burden his heart not to take his children with him. Thank you for the simplicity of your word. It's integrity and it's truth. Now, Father, for every dad in this room, bless them, honor them, use them, and let them know in the depths of their soul, it doesn't matter what happens at school, it doesn't matter what happens in our culture or on TV or in sports. You are bigger than anything in this world and you will honor what they do.
Let them know that before they leave this room today. In Jesus Christ's name. Heads bowed and your eyes closed. God's calling you to be a part of this fellowship. We want you to come. If you've never met Jesus Christ, you're a dad that said that, but you realize you don't want to take your children there, then maybe it's time for you to come. Maybe you just need to come down here and kneel and pray and say, I have not been a dad. I should be. I want to be a better dad. Maybe you need to kneel. Maybe you can pray there. I don't. Maybe we can help you pray, but whatever decision Holy Spirit leads you to make today, as he speaks this morning, you come.